This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen Ujiyadeen. Today is Wednesday, October 20th. Coming up, another town in the Kansas City area has banned conversion therapy, plus the impact Medicaid expansion is having on Missouri hospitals. But first, we have another story in our series about housing. Today, we're visiting more rural parts of Missouri and Kansas, where affordable housing and homelessness look different than they do in bigger cities. Cami Coons has been covering that issue on both sides of the state line. She's a reporter for Kansas City PBS, and she joins me now over Zoom. Hi, Cami. Hi. So how does homelessness differ in rural areas versus urban areas? Yeah, so I actually am going to refer to um, Whitney Lanning, who works with the uh, St. Joe Community Action Partnership, uh, she told me that, you know, rather than street homelessness, a lot of times what they see in rural areas is kind of the McKinney-Vento definition of homelessness. So it's couch surfing, uh, it's doubling up in different rooms. Um, So definitely still not having their own house, but it looks a lot different than being on the street or public encampments, even though that still does happen in rural areas. Um, Or there are people living out in old farmhouses where you just don't see it in their abandoned buildings, basically, or even just like in the woods. I think we hear a lot about how cities and urban areas are are getting more expensive. And and we hear a lot about the affordable housing conversation in those places. I'm wondering what causes a lack of affordable housing in rural areas? Yeah, so it's kind of a vicious cycle. um, Because the unhoused population is hard to count and hard to quantify in those areas. It means that um, coalitions that are doing that counting, like I spoke with the Kansas Homeless Coalition, and they said that every single year, the numbers that they report to HUD are so much lower than what the actual need is. So the money that they're getting to provide affordable housing for these individuals nowhere is nowhere near what they actually need. Um, So that's kind of one of the biggest things that perpetuates it. Are there, are there market forces that also cause that as well? Like I spoke with the, some people in Leavenworth and because it's a military town, the prices of the price of housing there is really high because they're dealing mostly with military budgets. So that definitely plays a factor into people trying to find affordable housing. And just in general, I mean, the, you know, the definition of affordable housing is 30% of your income, but pretty much everyone across the board that I've spoken to says that the affordable housing that exists in their town is far above 30% of an individual's income. So it really goes hand in hand with the housing that's available and the wages that people are being paid. So in your story, you talk about how some people actually avoid shelters and other traditional resources for unhoused people. Why is that? There can be a lot of reasons that that lead to someone doing that. A lot of people who end up being unhoused have really strong mental health conditions that haven't really been addressed, usually leading or stemming from like childhood trauma and sometimes being in a congregate setting can be just really overwhelming and actually make their situation a lot worse. So they avoid shelters. Another reason people will avoid them are because of certain stipulations the shelter will have to enter. None of the shelters I actually spoke to had these barriers, but I know some do that you have to be. And so those can be, you know, some people need a place to sleep at night, but they're not ready to face their addiction. Really, it's just finding shelters that will let them come in without the caveat that they're clean because, you know, even if you're addicted to something, you still kind of need a place to sleep at night was 
was the message that I heard from most of my sources who are low barrier shelters. So in your story, you also talk about how just getting a job isn't enough to provide stability for a lot of people who don't have homes. Why is that? Well, a lot of times, I mean, even if you have a job, you have to have transportation to said job to get there. A lot of rural towns are really spread out. Like I spoke to someone who lives at the shelter in Leavenworth and they don't even have a bus system in Leavenworth. And where the shelter is located on that side of town, the closest grocery store is a two mile walk. When it gets cold, who knows how far you're walking. In more urban areas, you have public transportation. Kansas City has great public transportation, which can kind of alleviate some of that burden. And then also think of single moms or just anyone with children. You're going to have to find childcare before you can work, um, which can be really hard, difficult to do. Um, childcare is super expensive. So the Community Action Partnership in St. Joe actually offers some free childcare options, which is really great to kind of help people get back on their feet and get reintegrated into the workforce. And then, I mean, that in itself is part of the issue too. Not everyone is ready to reintegrate back into society after they have been in, an, in a, a houseless situation. It can just be a lot to reintegrate. Why is that? Um, I mean, I think it really stems back to a lot of the unaddressed mental health issues and um, addiction that I mentioned before, or just the fact that specifically, I mean, in rural areas and everywhere, that the word homeless and seeing someone living on the street or without a house just carries such a stigma and people really look down on that. And I think it's because they don't understand how easily it can happen to anyone. And so, you know, maybe creating a better awareness can be kind of a solution to helping people feel more comfortable. I would imagine it would be hard to work a job and talk with your coworkers and, you know, just bringing up, I don't have a place to live. So how do the resources for homeless people differ in rural versus urban areas? I know in more urban areas, there are multiple shelters that you can go to, different resources. And I feel like it's more openly talked about. Whereas what I found in more rural areas, it's usually a food bank, most likely run by a local church. The one that I spoke to in Gallatin requires that you meet, you basically have to fill out some paperwork to show that your income and family household size is below a certain number set by the state in order to receive some of those products just because the need is so great. So I would say there's just fewer resources. And I think honestly, that comes down to the fact that people don't know that there are people who are unhoused in their community who really need those resources because when you're not seeing it every single day, you're not walking down the street and seeing people or driving past a park and seeing encampments there. Um, it's really easy just to kind of forget that people are struggling uh, if you're not. And that's just human nature, I think. Um, but yeah, I think just the lack of awareness that people are in need of those resources creates a, a drier environment for the resources. So what can people do if they want to help? I would say, one, being aware. I grew up in a small town in Missouri and I mean, granted, I was a kid and a high schooler when I lived there, but I never once thought about people being unhoused there because you don't see it. And I just assumed that that was a city problem. So I think just being aware that it exists in your city. Um, and once you're aware of it, then you care and, you know, you want to do something to help. So donating food to a local pantry, donating time to a local pantry. And then if you do see someone who's unhoused or who's struggling, 
just talk to them as though they're a person because they, they are a person. Cami Coons is a reporter for Kansas City PBS. Thanks, Cami. Yeah, thank you. You can read Cami's story along with the rest of our coverage of housing in the Kansas City area at kcur.org. Now, some headlines. The risk rating for COVID-19 transmission has been lowered for some Kansas City area counties as the number of new cases continues to fall. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has lowered the counties of Buchanan, Clay, and Platt to a substantial risk for COVID transmission, one notch below the highest risk level. That lower ranking is due to decreased case rates and low test positivity rates, but it doesn't change the CDC's public health recommendations. However, everyone in these counties is still advised to wear masks in indoor public settings. Like the vast majority of U.S. counties, most of the Kansas City metro, including Jackson and Wyandotte counties, remains in the highest risk category. In an 11-to-1 vote Monday, Prairie Village banned conversion therapy, a widely debunked process that attempts to change a person's sexuality or gender identity. The ordinance states that a person caught administering conversion therapy in Prairie Village will be subject to a $1,000 fine, but no jail time. Ward 2 Councilmember Inga Selders said the ordinance will help make Prairie Village a safer place for the LGBTQ community and that it sets a good example for other cities. I have faith that through the advocacy and education efforts, our neighboring communities will enact conversion therapy bans in the coming months, and eventually a path forward will be paved for a statewide conversion therapy ban. Prairie Village joins Roland Park, Kansas City, and North Kansas City in banning conversion therapy. We'll be back after a message from our sponsor. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a division of UMB Bank, UMB always puts your interests first. UMB's registered advisors are fiduciaries, so that means they are legally and ethically required to only recommend investments that are the best fit for your individual circumstances. UMB provides one-on-one guidance to help you make savvy financial choices on your wealth-building journey. Tap into high-touch financial planning services so you can earn, grow, and create the life you want. Learn more at umb.com slash wealth hyphen management. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Last year, Missourians voted to expand Medicaid, making government-provided health insurance available to another quarter million people. After the state legislature refused to fund the program, a judge ordered the state to implement Medicaid expansion anyway. Since August, more than 17,000 people have applied for Medicaid in Missouri. The shift could be a boon for hospitals, which often care for people who are uninsured. But Sebastian Martinez Valdivia reports the road ahead isn't exactly straightforward. Golden Valley Memorial Hospital is a 56-bed facility in Clinton, Missouri. While the western Missouri town has fewer than 10,000 residents, the hospital serves around 80,000 people in the broader region. Craig Thompson is the CEO. We serve a primarily um, rural population. If you look at Clinton, Missouri and draw a 50-mile circle around the hospital, that's really the population that we serve. Rural hospitals like Golden Valley tend to have narrow profit margins. Many patients are on Medicare, which pays hospitals less than commercial insurance, and some are on Medicaid, which pays even less than Medicare. But 10% of Golden Valley's patients don't have any insurance to begin with. Even though Medicaid isn't a great payer and in a lot of cases doesn't cover cost, 
covering a portion of the cost obviously is better than covering no cost at all. Losing money on uninsured patients has contributed to the 10 rural hospital closures Missouri's seen in just the past seven years. Research shows that fewer rural hospitals close in states that expand Medicaid. But Thompson and other hospital leaders say they've supported Medicaid expansion for more than just the bottom line. I, I, uh, I feel kind of elated. Steve Edwards is CEO of Cox Health in Springfield. Edwards says having Medicaid coverage opens the door for patients to seek preventive care. That's better for them, and it's better for the hospital in the long run. One critical area Medicaid expansion could help? Mental health. So often people struggling with mental health often lose their job and lose their insurance and, um, and then cycle through that, that really horrible cycle. Those two things, patient care and hospital finances, were big on the list of reasons the Missouri Hospital Association has supported Medicaid expansion in Missouri. But other changes have complicated the outlook for hospitals. One of those developments is the increasing adoption of managed care in Medicaid. Traditionally, Medicaid pays providers directly, but under managed care, a private company serves as an intermediary. The Hospital Association's Dave Dillon says the issue with managed care for hospitals is twofold, less compensation and more bureaucracy. Not only do you have a middleman, uh, which will take some of the state's payments for that care, but you also see that hospitals uh, have more administration because they have to deal with denials of care. Missourians who get care through Medicaid expansion will be in managed care. Advocates for managed care say that's an opportunity. They say if managed care is done right, it can benefit patients, providers, and the state. Elena Marks is the president of the Episcopal Health Foundation, a health-focused nonprofit based in Houston, Texas. She also serves on the board of a managed care organization and says managed care can benefit patients if the focus is on optimizing their health. There is some amount of care that does not need to be incurred. And when you are in a managed care plan and someone is managing the care and the overall experience, then those things are avoided. But Marx acknowledges that if a state only wants to use managed care to cut costs, it can increase the friction between providers providers and the care organizations. Missouri is also adjusting how it compensates providers for care, which is projected to cut hospital revenues as well. All of this combined with the continued threat of a legislature that's already tried to stop Medicaid expansion once this year is cause for concern for hospital leaders. Still, Cox CEO Edwards is optimistic about the future of Medicaid expansion in Missouri. It's a moment that gives us joy and hope and knowing that we can better serve our community. And so that's very a very meaningful day um, for, for all of us in healthcare. And 11 years since the Affordable Care Act gave states the option to expand Medicaid, it's a day long in the making. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia, KBI News, Columbia. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can read Sebastian's story on Missouri Medicaid on our website, kcur.org, where you can also find our live stream. As always, you can listen to Kansas City's NPR station live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Tomorrow, we'll cover how Kansas City's east side is losing affordable apartments. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.